Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It's the start of another week. I'm Nathan Baird with Cleveland.com along with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. It finally felt like spring this weekend, which was a welcome addition. We had my wife and I had to go to Lowe's to buy light bulbs of all things, and it was too hot. We felt like it was too hot to wear our coats. And that was like an exciting moment. It feels like football might be right around the corner. When it's still February and there's snow everywhere, that still that doesn't really feel like football weather. I feel like pretty soon we're supposed to be doing some Zoom calls about Ohio State football spring practice. Did it, did it start to feel like spring for you guys this past weekend? Did you do any spring activities? So listen, uh, I, I, I wanted to talk about this anyway. We're back. We're coming back. Like it's not even about football. Football is going to be a nice little indication of this. But this is going to be, fingers crossed, the greatest spring that any of us have ever experienced. Anybody in America, maybe in the world, this is, it's a rebirth of the country, of the world. Like we are coming out of a year of crap and life is on the upswing. And I went for a walk. And I was like walking down the street with my giant headphones on, looking up at the blue sky with little wispy clouds and like feeling like this is the beginning of normalcy again. And I know we have people who listen to this podcast all over the country and all over the world. And I hope regardless of the weather, you're feeling that. And that maybe like a little bit, you know, if you listen to this, you care about Ohio State football a lot. Ohio State football occupies an important part of your life. So let the return of spring football practice be an indication to you. But man, I hope you're feeling it. And the weather's a nice little indication, but man, I hope, I hope your psyche, I hope your heart, I hope your mind, I hope your body, I hope your family, I hope every part of your life. A lot of people have been through some awful stuff. There are people listening to this who have been through awful things in the last year, but we're coming out of it, man. And it fe- I feel like living in a coaching cliche because as like a privileged middle-aged dude who has had a privileged, lazy, easy life, man, sometimes, you know, it's like it gives you a little spin on things. We've all been through this crap together. 
and we're coming out of it. We are starting. Don't, don't relax. Don't relax prematurely. Don't slack off. Don't, you know, but we are like, it's coming. It's coming. So I felt it like a thousand percent bared. And I do know like in, in Ohio, it happened because the weather turned right. and everybody's, I saw the meme. Everybody sees the meme. It's like the 12 seasons of Ohio. It's like, fall spring one winter two fall spring two winter three you know it's like hey like well is this it, it might yeah we might have 12 inches of snow in a week fall start yeah but man it felt great i was talking but it is funny it's i, I was talking to uh i was talking to wyatt davis's dad on the phone and hit the uh, the other day and like his phone overheated twice because he was driving and he had his phone on the middle console uh in california and the sun like cooked his phone and it was like okay well not every part of the country is experiencing the you know the, the seasonal rebirth that ohio is in california it's just hot like all the time in southern california but man i felt it i am in a good mood i am refreshed i am ready to roll and i hope our buckeye talk listeners in their lives are feeling that in the same way what a march baby let's go it's been a year of this let's go and it looked for a minute like uh, maybe Ohio State basketball's resurgence would add to the spring. I'm, I'm not sure that's going why to happen. Why? <laughs> I'm talking about upbeat <laughs> resurgence. What am I talk about? It's trying to be newsy. Losing streaks? Newsy. It's trying to be topical. I'm trying to be. This is the Baird, the Baird hosting model of like the newsy, the newsy <laughs> thing off the top that like, that's like, oh, by the way, before we get into exciting part of spring football, oh, the basketball team fell apart. Steven's too busy laughing. I just want to say you're right. Like both of my parents now have either had the vaccine or are scheduled for the first dose. Both my in-laws have. I hope everyone out there is starting to to feel that kind of grow because that's going to get us back to not having this like very sequestered feeling to things like this podcast and all the things we do. And I'm really looking forward to that. And I think spring football actually could be a little bit of a a boost for people. Um, if you're an Ohio State football fan last year, I think that's something you look forward to last year was kind of watching that team develop through the spring and, and learning new things about the team and getting those little tidbits. And that was one of the first things that was taken away from everybody. NCAA tournament and spring football just both vanished. I know those are not important compared to you know the, the life and death consequences of something like the pandemic. But as far as just like things that interrupted normalcy and took people out of just kind of that comfort and the things that they enjoy on a day-to-day -day basis, that was missing. So I'm looking forward to maybe having a more normal spring where we can kind of take that back to people. Steven, how do you kind of, and, and I think basketball kind of falls into that too. I think this is where we have an opportunity. That was why we started going to this thing five days a week was to kind of bring that back to people give people something to do through what was kind of a, a gloomy, frustrating time. And now it gets to be um, that same thing, but in a more real way, we're actually hopefully bringing them like real developments about these programs. Yeah. First of all, I live downtown now, so I would really love for the world to go back to normal so I can actually enjoy living literally around the corner from high street, which is one of the more fun parts of Columbus, Ohio. But yeah, it's, it's, it, we lost a lot last spring, obviously, you know, the NCAA tournament is back. It's all going to be at one location, which should be an interesting situation, sort of like a mini bubble situation where everybody's in the state of Indiana, Ohio state and the big 10 longer than others because the big 10 tournament is also there as well. And so, yeah, it, it, Doug's right with his long soliloquy about how this time of the year is usually about new life. And we're actually getting, new life this year just given what we've gone through for the last 12 months literally around the corner when the world actually shut down actually so yeah 
So that preamble leads us into what we really are here to talk about today, which is I put out a call last week asking all of our tech subscribers for what is your most urgent question as spring football starts for Ohio State. We don't have, I think, the exact date yet. I haven't seen exact date. I reached out to Ohio State yet to see if they've figured out an exact date yet for the start of spring practice. I assume we'll know that very soon. But we know that it's coming up in a matter of weeks that we'll start to learn more about this team. We'll start to see some things develop from this team. We don't know if we'll be able to watch very much of it, if, if anything, ourselves, but at least we'll be doing some interviews and, and hopefully gathering some intel to bring to you all. So put out the, que the question, like, what do you guys want to know? What are your most? And I kind of compiled them into what is essentially like a top 10 questions from our subscribers and what, what you guys want to know the most. And they broke down into a few segments and the one that got the most attention, the two that got the most attention, I don't think will surprise anyone. And the first thing off the bat we're going to talk about is the quarterback situation. A lot of people ask, who do you think is going to win the quarterback situation? I don't think that's as interesting of a question today because we can't really answer it in a meaningful way. I wanted to kind of get to some of the other questions. I thought people brought some more nuanced questions to help us get to kind of inside that decision, inside how that process is going to unfold. So for, for instance, starting with the 419, I know this question will sound like a broken record. The last time we had this much uncertainty at QB was when Braxton went down. JT was a Heisman contender before he got his first year. I really want to focus on Stroud and Miller because I'm in the minority by thinking McCord has, is a long shot. Ultimately, for Miller and Stroud, but I'm going to throw McCord into this, what attribute do you see as most important for one of them to be deemed QB1? And Doug, you've been around here for quarterback battles in the past. How have you seen this play out in the past? Kind of this balance between physical attributes and then whether that means a passing quarterback versus a balanced kind of dual threat quarterback. How much do intangibles play into this? Football IQ, stuff like that. Like, how have you seen that kind of play out in the past? Does it tend to end up being just pure athlete? Does it tend to skew the other way? Or is there no, like, common denominator in these? So I think we've talked about this. That Ohio State does have – you know, going back to like Joe Germain and Stanley Jackson, you know, and like, I don't even know what examples maybe before that, but has a history of sort of like mucking around a little bit with the quarterback position and having battles and having uncertainty. And I think there is one thing that the history shows. And here's the other thing that it almost doesn't matter. And, and I get aggravated a little bit. Mostly it's when people talk about it, like from the, an NFL standpoint, when they like talk about Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins doesn't help, but it's like, Oh, Ohio state's never had like a successful NFL quarterback. It's like, well, they've never had an offense like this. So like that, you know, what they did before it made sense, even through urban Meyer, it made sense that Ohio state wasn't cranking out NFL quarterbacks because they weren't running an NFL offense. They are now. So some of the history of Ohio state quarterbacking, is interesting to fans and to us, but it doesn't apply one iota to what Ryan Day's offense and what Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson and Corey Dennis are looking for in a quarterback right now. That said, I think there's a history of going with the sure thing and then going, aha, and playing the playmaker. And I think that applies to Justin Zwick, right? He was the higher rated recruit. He was kind of like the default guy. And then it's like, aha, Troy Smith. And it's like, you can't deny Troy. You couldn't deny Troy. Troy was undeniable. Took the job. They sort of eased into Terrell Pryor, understandably, right? Todd Beckman had just led Ohio State to the national championship game in 2007. They're not going to hand Pryor the job as a true freshman in 2008. They start with Todd Beckman. Todd Beckman plays the first three games. They get blown out at USC. Jim Trestle says, aha, they played Terrell Pryor. Todd Beckman doesn't play the rest of the year. 2000. 11, 
Luke Fickle. Braxton Miller's a true freshman. Braxton Miller's unbelievable. But they're not going to play Braxton Miller right away as a true freshman. They go with Joe Bozerman, who's been around. Joe Bozerman is not very good. Eventually, Luke Fickle realizes, okay, well, let's play the guy who is an unbelievable talent who just doesn't know the position very well. He's a true freshman. Aha! Make the noise again. There you go. Aha! Let's play Braxton Miller. So I, I think it's a natural thing for coaches. You, you pick the safe guy at first, and then you sort of come around to the playmaker. Now, Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow both had their own playmaking ability in their own ways. But in that moment, I think Dwayne at Ohio State was a little more of a playmaker that spring in what we thought of in terms of like making big throws. Again, I wrote from the spring game, Dwayne made a throw in the spring game that I wrote, that's it. He's got to be the guy. He makes that throw. He's got to be the guy. That's what you're looking for. Joe Burrow, as it turned out, I think when Joe Burrow was at Ohio State, he was a little bit the safer choice because he fit the urban offense a little better, right? A little more, not a little more, much more of a run threat, right? Had been around, was a year older. And then it turns out Joe Burrow goes, it's like, oh, Joe Burrow is the number one pick in the draft. But you didn't know that at Ohio State. So that was a time where they kind of went, I think, with the playmaker over the safe choice, right? With Dwayne Haskins in that moment. The thing about this is there is no safe choice. I don't know what even the safe choice was, and I don't know what the playmaker choice is. So that's why, like, nothing applies here. Because most of the time when you have a quarterback battle, I think you can put the quarterbacks, like, in little silos. Well, this guy's a little more this, and this guy's a little more that. Often based on experience, if nothing else. There's always an older guy. There's no older guy here. The two guys who were here didn't play. They have a year of practice, but that's it. Nobody's played. Nobody's thrown a pass. And who's the better playmaker? I don't know. Who's safer? I don't know. So it is so wide open. And it is so sort of all starting at the same spot that I, I think there's like no read on it. And I don't think you can compare it to anything and I have no idea how it's going to go because it feels like they're opening the barn door and they've got three immense talents who don't know what they're doing and they're going to let them run. And who's going to get to the other side of the, of the meadow faster? I don't know. So that's why I think it's, I think there is a tendency that the history of Ohio state football has shown us, but I don't think that that tendency could even exist here. Because if there's a way that Ryan Day would feel safe, I'm going to lean safe. What's that? What is that? I don't know. Maybe CJ? Because what? He came into the game like when Justin Fields got, was knocked out for one play? Like why? What is that? CJ was also like the late riser in his recruitment, right? Where McCord and Miller maybe were more established as high school quarterbacks. So that's why it's fascinating because there's – they're all the same, right? I mean, no offense to them, but they're young, they're inexperienced, and they're talented. So I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you're, you're definitely true. In it, it, They're definitely all the same in so much as there is no safe choice. And they it may be the same in that we have not seen the playmaker from any of them at the college level. 
so that you're right that, that that is kind of a wash there it leads into the second question like I said we got a lot of quarterback questions but I thought there were enough different angles I split several of them into the the questions we'll do today this is from the 561 who wins the quarterback battle and if it's Stroud is that because he's actually the best or because it's the safest choice to preserve the QB pipeline now that's where your what you're talking about is also there's a little bit of a wrinkle here because we've talked about the repercussions of this decision. And we've talked about which outcome in theory would have the most seamless transition for Ohio State as you're looking forward to the next couple of classes, obviously with Quinn Ewers coming in behind. But should that be a factor here, Stephen? Like, because you were one of the people of the three of us on the podcast, you and Doug were more concerned about kind of this, the way the quarterback talent has been piling up and how that is going to, how that dynamic will play out going forward. Should how that dynamic will play out be any kind of a factor in how this decision unfolds this spring, this fall, whenever that happens? No, because once they're on campus, you just got to play the best guy. I think my argument and Doug's argument is when you're recruiting them. But once they're here, it, the year doesn't really matter anymore. It's If the, the true freshman is the best guy, you play him. If the guy who's been here for a year is the best guy, you play him. I think what it's because there's no safe choice – one, if one of these guys is just okay but not getting the job done, then Quinn Ewers is going to come here and take the job from him anyway. So your quarterback pipeline, so to speak of, is going to go right back on pace because Quinn Ewers will just come in the very next year and be the starter as a true freshman. So I don't think that matters. What matters is who's the best guy at the end of the spring or the end of the fall, but then also maybe in a world where they cater the offense to whatever the quarterback skill set is, maybe it's which quarterback skill set allows you to do the most offensively. I'm saying I think for this that, fall, though, if, if someone's a 93 and someone's a 91 when they get done grading this out, should the domino effect be any part of who they choose to be the starter? No, because no. I think Stephen's right. Ewers blows up the domino. There is no domino. If Ewers didn't exist, you might have the future in the back of your mind as you're making a 2021 decision. But you're dropping – you're dropping Trevor Lawrence on the battle the next mm -hmm. year no matter what happens. And that's going to blow everything up, maybe. Not guaranteed. Well, no, I take that back. Yeah. It is going to blow it yeah. up. Yeah. You <laughs> might wind up with the 2021 starter still winning the job in 2022, but you're blowing up the status quo. So there is no reason for 2021 to be about anything other than 2021. If you had a the, the number 12 quarterback in the country coming in the next recruiting class, then maybe pipeline, balance, you know future matters a little bit more but it but i think steven's exactly right which is why which makes it i don't know does that make this then does that make this battle more interesting or less interesting when it becomes only about who gives you the best chance to win in 2021 i really think that's it now ryan day and steve i mean you would say well that's what it was about anyway okay but maybe it was like 10 percent Mm -hmm. future pipeline balance don't transfer whatever i think it's that's zero percent it's a hundred percent who gives us the best chance to win the national championship in 2021 because that guy's coming so does that make this less interesting or more interesting with that reality i don't know it makes it less or more because i think it's fascinating regardless who's going to be ohio State's starting quarterback this fall because as you say it's the team that thinks in terms of national championship aspirations pretty much every year. So whoever wins this job, ha there's, there's huge ramifications for it. And I think even if Quinn Ewers weren't coming, I think if CJ Stroud or Jack Miller were to win the job this fall, 
for this fall, I think we would still be looking at the next spring, the next fall is common Accord getting back into that conversation with another year. I think that would still happen depending on what happened. Now, if, if CJ Stroud goes out or Jack Miller goes out and is a Heisman trophy finalist as a tr- freshman this fall, then maybe not. Maybe we're not thinking about that in terms of that narrative, but I, I don't know that it changes a lot. I think it's still very fascinating for this fall and this spring who wins this job. I think what makes it interesting is it's a two part. It's who wins the job. Obviously that's the conversation throughout the off season, but then there's the extra narrative that we're all going to have in the back of our head is okay. How well is he playing because Quinn Ewers exist because it, him existing is this it's if Kyle McCord wins the job and he's awesome. Quinn Ewers now has to sit for two years and we all know that's not going to happen. He'll, it'll be a Justin Spiel situation where he sits for a year, feels like he can't play and he'll be off somewhere else. While if CJ Stroud or Jack Miller wins the job and they're awesome, then it's no different than what Clemson did with DJ or what Alabama did with um, Bryce Young or Oklahoma did with uh, uh, Spencer Rattler, where it's okay. Is the expectation now that Quinn Ewers will sit for a year and learn and then have the job for two years. So then your pipeline, this rotation continues as normal. So, but because he exists, it's who wins the job. And then every single week it's going to, did he play well enough one to put Ohio state in a position to win a national championship this year, but is he playing well enough that next off season, he's also going to be able to hold off Quinn Ewers and keep his job. I think the timeline of this is very fluid and it's going to be, it doesn't really have an end at this point, which kind of gets to question number three, which was, will we know who the starting quarterback will be by the end of the spring? In parentheses, likely no way and never bring this up again. I guess someone uh, implying that they know that we're getting a lot of questions about the the quarterback position that that might be hard to answer. That's from the 615. I would expect us not to know who the fall opening day starting quarterback will be at the end of the spring. Zero percent chance. Yeah. I think the – and this is even a low percent chance, but I think the best case scenario is we at least know who the two men still on the running because somebody might leave. Yeah, I mean, Ryan Day is not going to tell us anything. No. And I don't think what we read, if we get to watch practice or if there's a spring game, I don't think what we read out of that would tell us anything either. Mm-hmm. The only thing that would tell us anything is if somebody leaves, if somebody departs the program. Uh, that's the only indication we're going to get because there's no reason to. I mean, there's no there's – no, to tell us, now again, the Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow thing, they said they'd tell Joe Burrow, right? So, like, they said they would – Urban Meyer promised them that. This is not that. And, like, they're not going to tell us. And I don't know how much the younger guys will push for it, right? Will anybody – will the parents or, or families or those individual players, those three young players, will they be like, I want to know. You got to tell me. You got to tell me. You got to tell me. I'm deciding my future. I don't know. You know, maybe if we'd had a normal season, but like Stroud and Miller, they, they didn't get to show anything. So are they going to, and we don't even know what spring football is going to be like. So are they going to push that hard? Right. So I, I just, I, I mean, of course the actual decision about number one, I think goes until the week before the first game, when they get into game week prep, I don't think we're going to know before then. I don't know that it'll be, they walk out on the field on the first for the first game and we don't know. But I think like Ryan Day's opening game week news conference, like on the Tuesday of, you know, six to five days before the game, I think that's when Ryan Day will say who the starting quarterback is. I, I could even see what they did with Justin Fields where it was the Monday before that. That was happening. That to be was my first fake. Monday on the don't job. compare that. I'm just don't saying, but, I, for, but don't say it. It's not, it's 0%. When did he power. say Dwayne, when did Urban Meyer come out and actually say Dwayne Haskins was a starter? They said it at the end of spring, and Joe Burrow left. 
Okay. So, all right. So, but uh, the other question I wanted to follow up to put and to put your memory on the spot a little bit, Doug, who was still in that quarterback room after Burrow left Haskins is a starter Burrow leaves. What did they still have in that room at the time? Tate, right? They had Tate and they injured Daniel. Matthew Baldwin and Matthew Baldwin. Yeah. Showed up. Okay. So yeah. Cause that, because that's the other dynamic here, too. The other reason why Ohio State doesn't have incentive to make big declarations this spring as to who the starter is is – But it's not about declarations. They're not going to know. Well, that, that, too. Right. But I'm just no, saying – not that, that, too. That. They can't figure this out in 15 practices. That's right. it. I mean, what's, what's, what, are you, what are you declaring? It's but not over. But I think there's, yeah, also somebody... in, there's also incentive to encourage all three of those guys that they're still in the running because you want a full room of guys still for the fall. These are the only three guys they've got. No, I, I know what you're saying, but like, so if a, if a player demands, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, they'll give their best estimation at the thing, but it's not over. I mean, right. they don't know anything about these guys. Yeah. They don't know anything about so- how they respond in the moment, about how they throw to the good receivers, about how they handle pressure, you know, they, uh, from defensive linemen. Like, they don't know anything. Yeah. If someone's able to give you that indication after 15 practices in this team's a national title contender. That's an unrealistic expectation to have going into the spring. I wish that we were able to see more spring practice. Obviously, I always wish that, but I, I am very uh, curious about, you know, Ryan Day has talked about, I, I think this spring could look different for these quarterbacks than it's looked for any Ohio State quarterback before. The way that they want to put these guys in like competitive situations and, and push that on them. Because you're right, Doug, like they've never seen any of these guys in, in, a, in a tough spot, have to respond to, in, into, like, any kind of urgent position of a game. And to have to try to recreate that in practice, I think, is going to be something that you don't really try to do as much. And the spring's not really about that a lot of times. It, it, it's not as much about winning a job every spring the way I think we – sometimes people think about it that way. That's not really what spring is designed to be necessarily, partially because sometimes there's guys who aren't practicing really at all in the spring because they're coming off of injuries from the previous season. Your roster is really a lot of times chopped up in the spring or at least compromised. So I, I'm, I would love to be able to see more of what is actually happening on a day-to-day basis of practice. I think they are probably going to put these guys in. It's just going to look different for them than it usually looks in the it's, spring for quarterbacks. Is that, it's that, but then also some of these first stringers who have kind of ec- built up equity probably aren't going to be having that many reps in the spring because they don't need them. You get those. This is the time to get some of those guys rest. But at the same time, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson need reps with these quarterbacks. So that I think is a fascinating balance. Yeah, you have to. I mean, you might have to. The first seven practices, just tell Chris and Garrett, listen, we need you every single practice as many reps as possible because we got to see what they look like with you two because that's the most important thing. And then after that, maybe you kind of, as you get closer to the so-called spring game that's when you dwindle them back. Maybe those two only participate in one or two of the live scrimmages that Ryan Day hinted to might happen for these quarterbacks just for the sake of getting those guys close, simulating in-game reps. But you don't – the first half of spring, you get those guys as many reps as possible, then you shut them down. For the, and then you just tell those quarterbacks all summer, you need to be spending time with those two guys. I, I also think – I mean, Urban Meyer was very big on that, the 2,000-rep club and the whole thing of, like, they limited reps of veterans. But nobody played a normal football season. Nobody practiced yeah. a normal football season. I also think that all might be out the door. A, because you need it. Everybody is behind in terms of their football development for a typical person. And B, like, football's fun. Like, you just sat a whole year. So it's like, hey, you don't have to practice today. It's like, I want to practice today. 
This is why. You know what I don't want to do? I don't want to do mat drills. I don't want to lift. I don't want to just, I want to do football things. I want to run a route and catch a football. I want to do a drill with my receiver buddies. Like that's fun compared to all this other stuff. So I, I think in a normal situation, they would be balancing exactly what Steven said. Wilson and Olave have been through this all, but they need reps with the quarterbacks. But now it might just be like, man, everybody's just doing everything. Nobody gets any time off because guess what? You, like all of 2020, you kind of had off in a way that you didn't want. To that point, uh, Clemson, I think, put out a, a vlog that they usually do with all their sports. And there's older guys, they're six-year guys, and they're clear starters aren't participating in their mat drill stuff at all. They're, just, they're, they're using them as extra coaches so they don't put that extra physical strain on their bodies. But then when they go out, to, when spring practices starts, to the point, they're doing everything. So maybe that's even a way you can go about it where you don't strain these guys, but make sure they still get the football reps, but you're not putting anything physical on them with mad drills and all this extra stuff that, I mean, Chris and Garrett and Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere, they're going to show up in shape. So you're not worried about that as much. We're going to talk a lot more about the quarterback situation as this keeps going on. It's going to be the story that we all follow. Everybody on this beat follows for months and months going forward. So before we transit, are you transitioning off quarterbacks? Cause there's a quarterback point I want to make before Go we right transition ahead. off quarterbacks. Okay. Go right ahead. This is what I think the actual most interesting question is for fans, because I don't, there of course is a question is Ohio state's quarterback good enough to lead them to a national championship. Right. But that question is really about, is Ohio State's quarterback, which is the position, which is like whoever wins it. But part of this is you're trying to figure out who you're going to love. Who's going to be your Justin Fields and who's going to be your Tate Martell? Because people always say being the quarterback at Ohio State is like you're like the second most famous person in the state behind the governor, right? I mean, like this is, this is a huge deal. So I think people probably think Ohio State's going to wind up with a quarterback in 2021 that is capable of leading this talented team to the national championship. I don't know that people have a ton of doubt about that. Of course, the specifics matter because losing one game might screw you up. We talked about, oh, man, young quarterback, never been through it. You might lose the Oregon game, and if everybody else was good, that might hurt you in the playoff race. Of course, that's the big, that's the big picture thing, right? But people love these guys. People love Troy Smith. People love Troy Smith. People love Braxton Miller. You know, people don't love Justin Zwick in the same way. People love Dwayne Haskins, but then they love Joe Burrow, but they love Joe Burrow for what he did somewhere else. They didn't get to love him here in the same way. Who you love. Ryan Day is like picking your significant other right now. This is like The Bachelor, except instead of you being The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, Ryan Day is Chris Harrison, but it's like Chris Harrison gets to pick. And it's like, I'm here to find love. And Chris Harrison's like, I'm giving the rose to this person. And you're like, but I thought I loved this other quarterback. And Ryan Day, Ryan Day Chris Harrison is like, nope, here's the rose. That's a big deal. So that's the thing that is the biggest change. Who will you love? Because the Ohio State quarterback X is going to be good enough. Good enough, you know, whatever. They're going to be at least an 85. Now they might need to be 100 to win the national championship. Nobody's going to be a 40, right? It's not like they're going to come out and lose five games. They have three awesome, talented young quarterbacks. But, man, who are you going to be talking about with your friends? Who are you going to be watching highlights of? Who are you going to hear interviews with? 
You know, I, I would say who can get a jersey of it, except they don't do that anymore. But you know what I mean? I, like that is the actual thing. That's the question that people really have for themselves right now. Because some of these guys you're never going to get to love. Because you can't. You can't love all three. At the end of The Bachelor, you don't propose to three people. Even now, now, maybe Rachel, right? Rachel, she didn't win, but then oh, she no. got to be The Bachelorette. So then Joe Burrow doesn't win, but he goes to be The Bachelor on another season at a different school, but he didn't find love here. You know, I mean, he got to the fantasy suite, but he didn't get the proposal at Ohio State. So that, I hope Ari's listening to this. This is all for Ari Wasserman. So that's what's at stake here, honestly. Because so now, and the other thing is, I mean, I, now this I think is mostly Bachelor in Paradise, where on Bachelor in Paradise, everybody's falling in love. They're like, on, they're rolling around in the sand and like jumping in the waves. And then they drop another person on the island on purpose. So that Quinn was Justin Ewers, Fields. No, Quinn Ewers. Quinn Ewers is lurking. Even if you fall in love right now for the moment, Quinn Ewers might get dropped in and then you might not get, you might not give the rose to the person you love now. You're going to give it to Quinn Ewers. But for right now, it's a big deal. Who do you love? Who's your favorite player? That's a huge deal, which is a different discussion than how good is your favorite team? Because we all have favorite players on our favorite teams. And that is what Ryan Day is also deciding right now, which matters a lot to the people who listen to this podcast. Headline, there's no polygamy in college football. That, that is a Stephen Means story. You can except, have that headline, Stephen. Parentheses like except in Utah. Yeah. <laughs> that is Nathan Baird. That is Nathan Baird who said that. Or Florida. I mean, I, they were doing it last year. I Literally. Hope, I hope you all followed that. I'm not sure I did completely from top to bottom. But I do think, though, it is a natural transition. We're going to come back from the break because what Doug said, that I, you think that Ohio State's going to find a quarterback that's capable of winning a national championship. I think Ohio State absolutely will find a strong quarterback out of these three. Will How good does that quarterback have to be to potentially make up for the defense and still win a national championship and, and the quarterback being part of the offense as a whole. Um, I think that's the question that remains. It's a question that a lot of you had questions about. We'll get back to those after the break here on Buckeye Talk. All right. I hope you all enjoyed that rundown of uh, what was that? Temptation Island. What were we talking about there? The bachelorette. Now, don't, now, now, now Temptation Island is a cheap knockoff. Now, Bachelor in Paradise. I thought, was, I, I thought it was the predecessor. Oh, maybe it was. I, I call it. Stuff, so. I call it Hump Island. When my daughter, my daughter is just in a big Bachelor phase, so we watch the Bachelor, the Bachelorette. That there actually, I do think people are looking for love. And then if you don't get picked, then you just go to Hump Island, and then they just roll around in their in their swimsuits. They're in their swimsuits all day, all day. I don't think they ever wear clothes. On Bachelor Paradise, in Paradise, it's it's a joke. It's terrible. It's America's falling apart. Hot takes. We uh, had a lot of questions about the quarterbacks, and we had a lot of questions about a specific part of the defense, and that's the secondary. As we were compiling our ten questions for the spring that that our tech subscribers had six one four three five zero three three one five. If you want to get in on that action, so right off the bat, I thought this is uh, question four for us from from a couple places here i'm going to kind of combine some questions is there anything you'll be looking for out of the secondary this spring that will help shed some light on how the buckeyes are going to improve that aspect of their defense and also does the defense show any schematic changes under Kerry combs full-time leadership 
we don't know how much we're going to get to actually watch this spring, if anything. We also don't know if they're going to start doing those schematic changes, if that would happen this spring, or if the spring, again, is more about individual skill development and those kind of schematic things happen later. But I also, just from the way that Kerry Combs has talked about this, the way that Ryan Day has talked about this, I'm skeptical that we're going to get a schematic overhaul for 2021. So listen, we're not X-No experts on this podcast. We know that, okay? So the thing, uh, mostly when talks schematics, I mean, what are we, are they going to play two safeties or one? My God, it's all we talk about, two safeties or one. That you might get a feel for in the spring. That's actually not the thing though, right? I mean, it's much more like, are you showing a look pre-snap? Are you showing a man look pre-snap and rotating the zone at the snap? That kind of thing. Are you are you giving different looks? Are you confusing quarterbacks? Are you putting a little more on your defense to disguise looks? And maybe you know, again, are you wrote? So they're not going to do that in a spring game. Like we're not we're not going to know that until the until the first game. Now we'll get a, maybe a feel for one safety, two safety. So that I will be curious about. I think the answer is going to be a mix. I think maybe more of a mix than the last couple years. We've talked about it ad nauseum. So I do think that matters, but I think what we're really lo- what we're talking about, hey, did they show enough against Alabama to sort of throw them? That's we're not going to find that out to like the middle of the season, the actual season, to see how they're playing when you get into a game. But I am curious about the idea of is there room for a second safety to get on the field in any significant way, and then is that second safety like Marcus Williamson? which is what he was late last year when he was the slot corner. And then he was also the second deep safety, which again is just, Oh, now like your strong safety is sometimes up and he's sometimes back. All right. Well now we're just back to like old safety stuff. Or is it a different guy, right? Is there, when you have a two safety look, is that different than who your slot corner is, which is what they had gone to. So there's a lot of that that I think we can get a sense of, but actually in terms of like, if you thought the scheme wasn't good enough, in 2020 you won't have an actual answer to the intricacies of that until we get into a couple games i think the thing you look for because you're not gonna get scheme stuff is who's with who you know uh, court williams told us he was a safety but obviously we've talked about him as a sam linebacker and that's kind of what he was brought in to be is that role is he working with the line the sam bullet linebackers now or is he still over there with the safeties group where's cam martinez at is he still working with the slots or is he on an outside spot where's cam brown where's lathan ransom where's josh proctor for for goodness sake, that's where I think the spring is about. It's one, you get an estimate of who might be, you know, the two deep, a, a first look at the two, but also who moved in the month and a half since the last time you've seen this team played, who's in a different spot. We can say that about a d- bunch of different positions, but especially in the secondary, given what that was, the mess it was at the end of the year, who's where and what does that mean six months from now? And, like, Court Williams is, like, there are a couple guys who are pivot points, but it is. It's, like, if they come out, if we ever get a look at them, like, base defense, 11 on 11, and their base defense is, like, Dallas Gant, Taraja Mitchell, and Court Williams, right? Where Court Williams is, like, the third linebacker, but he's not exactly a linebacker, that's interesting. If that base defense is Josh Proctor and Lathan Ransom are both back at deep safety together, that's interesting. If that look is Cam Martinez and Marcus Williamson are sharing slot corner, but neither of them plays deep safety, that's interesting. There are pivotal guys from a personnel standpoint that will give us an indication about what they're thinking about in terms of base formations and how they deploy guys 
from a schematic standpoint. So Steven's right there. There are a couple, if you could say, if you tell me where Lathan Ransom, like Court Williams and Josh Proctor, where they line up on the first day of practice in 11 on 11, that's going to tell us a lot more about the defense than we know right now. Yeah. And I'll jump ahead. Question five was from our buddy Khaled and was asking, is a single high safety look going to be Ohio State's base defense? And my answer was going to be, we won't, again, we won't know that for sure this spring. I obviously, if they came out and played nothing but two high safeties all spring and we were hearing that, I guess that would not, I guess it wouldn't be two high safeties, just two safeties. If they did that all spring, that would signal a shift. I just don't think that's going to happen. What I think is much more important is do you come out of the spring game if you're Ohio State and if you're an Ohio State fan, more confident in the quality depth of the defensive backs you have than you were at the end of last season. I don't, I don't scheme is still secondary to me to finding enough really good defensive backs. I don't think they had enough last year. I think they have to find more and I think it's about developing them. I think that's what's going on right now this spring and what will continue happening throughout the spring and really on into the fall this summer, I think is going to still be important for that. They have to find more guys who are capable of doing the things that they want them to do. But I will say, I, I agree with you because remember coming out on the first day of spring practice last year where you, we had all kind of split up our duties. And the important part was what were the big takeaways on defense that day? It was like, Oh, seven banks. Look at him. He's out there as the, with the first team corners and look at what he looks like. Like that looks like it's probably a thing or it's like, Hey, Pete Werner's playing the will did we know that was going to happen like what, what happened there like there were some really some things that happened on that very first day of the spring that told you what that team was going to look like in the national championship game you know all things being equal so I there are a couple of positions I think Steven Dry. I think there are a couple of guys that are kind of lingering out there that might tell us something now there were some other guys though I mean I remember Tyreek Johnson being out with the ones at one point last spring there were some other guys mixed in there that we thought, oh, maybe that's telling us something. Maybe a move has been made. Remember Marcus Hooker, that is how that told us some things, where he was lining up last spring in that first week, kind of gave us an indication that he was farther along in that battle with Proctor that didn't necessarily hold or didn't even necessarily show up. So that's the other thing I would tell people is, like, let those all those little fragments maybe tell you something, but don't necessarily jump to conclusions on what you see the first day of spring practice or even the last day of spring practice in some ways. Yeah. It's more just to open your mind up about what might be possible just because you maybe didn't think of a guy that way. Let's go to offense real quick because I got to bring up Garrett. Why not? Garrett being in the slot opened up everybody's minds about what would be possible with this wide receiver group this year, because a guy switched from being outside to inside. And the same thing can be said for the, in the secondary, especially this year, if you're seeing guys move around, it's like, okay, maybe I didn't think that guy could be that, but, that he's clearly shown them something that they at least want to try it, even if it is for two or three practices in the spring. I, I think from a personnel standpoint, first day of spring tells you almost everything you need to know, though. Mm-hmm. It does not happen very much that a guy lines up with the first team on the first day of spring and then by the season is not there. I mean, there is a competition, but most of the time they get it right. So when Marcus Hooker starts off as looking like a starter, right, or, or that kind of thing, that stayed. Now, it didn't stay till the end of the year because he didn't play well enough, right? But, again, I keep giving the you know, Tyvis Powell, Darren Lee. There's enough times over the years where a guy shows up in the first day of spring practice, you go, wow, I didn't expect that. And that's what it is. So scheme, you don't know for sure. Personnel, if you are a starter on the first day of spring practice, that is a huge indication mm-hmm. of what they think about you because you showed it in bowl practice because you worked your butt off in off-season workouts because you've been in the film room you did it what you showed the staff the year before as a backup 
right stuck in their heads. All that really matters. And while the competition does continue, man, if I went back and said, let's look at who the starting 22 were the first time they went 11 on 11, the first day of spring practice, and then who were the starters in the opener in September? I mean, I bet you it's a 90, 95% conversion rate. Like you take out the fact that maybe like Baron Browning didn't practice just because he was dealing with an injury. Yeah. Yeah, You take out some injuries. Yeah. For the most part, it was pretty spot on with everything they wanted to do. Cam Brown being the slot on third down. Yeah. All of that. We, we saw on first day. Yeah. I mean, Browning and Sean Wade, I think was out when we, when they started spring practice last year. So that threw the defensive back balance off a little bit as far as, who was starting and how we could make some guesses there, but more or less. Yeah. I mean, the people that we saw in the mix on that first day were the people who ended up being in the mix. We've jumped ahead on our answers a little bit into some of the following questions. Question six was, again, I I merged a couple of them together here. Joel and Phoenix, will Cam Brown be healthy? Will the corners develop under Barnes and Combs and someone else asking, do we have DBs on the roster good enough to control high powered offenses outside the big 10 this year? We don't have a health update on Cam Brown yet. No one's asked about him in the few times because there's been other urgent questions to ask. We've seen some guys come back really quickly from a torn Achilles, so we know that that can happen. But really, the timing of the Cam Brown injury was terrible for Ohio State, but was good for Cam Brown in the long term. Because they're preferably, when you're talking about high-level football players, a, a like 10- or 11-month recovery is preferable from an injury like that. So he got his was October 31st. I don't know that we'll see him do much this spring. It probably isn't necessarily a reason for him to press and come back this spring, but I think I would expect him to be more or less back in the mix for this fall. That's just my speculation. He had torn, he had on two tennis shoes from the big 10 championship game or now obviously walking around on the sideline on your own will versus playing a football game or not the same thing, but just if that's any indication of where his progress is, like he's, he's at least able to walk on his own two feet at this point. Tough Borland and Master Teague both tore their Achilles in spring football yeah. mm-hmm. and played in the opener the next that fall. Now, they weren't themselves right away necessarily, especially tough. And, and I think they surprised some people. Like, it was kind of like, well, will they be back? So the fact that Cam Brown did it in October, I mean, again, these guys are doing it in March and we're back. I think, again, the idea that will he be ready now? Yeah, I don't know. Will he be ready for the season? I think absolutely. Who's the DB that nobody is talking about yet that you guys maybe have on your radar? Like, who, who do you want to see something from this spring that maybe needs to show something this spring? Ryan Watts. Someone, one of the texters pointed out, I guess they heard an interview with Sean Wade on yeah. whatever it was, uh, an PFF, NFL thing, whatever. I think it was PFF, and he kept talking about Ryan Watts, but he never brought up Legend Cavazos. Yeah. Now, sometimes that's your friend. Sometimes it's random. You didn't even mean to do it. So it's not the end-all, be-all, but sometimes those guys know. So uh, a texter put us on to that idea, and that piqued my interest in Ryan Watts. Not that it wasn't there already. But that's – I mean, that's – you know, if you, think, if you think Banks and you think Brown will be healthy, then, you know, are you assuming Marcus Williamson? Here's the thing that's hard. Here's the thing that, that's really hard. Okay, so the defense wasn't quite good enough last year, right? But – they're bringing back like everybody in the secondary except Sean Wade, right? I mean, everybody else kind of is back. So do you play the same guys who maybe it wasn't quite good enough? It wasn't right. bad, and they're not all – well, no one said Seven Banks wasn't good. Nobody said Cam Brown wasn't good. 
you know, Marcus Williamson had his struggles, but they sure relied on him a lot. I mean, they relied on him a lot, and now he's back with more experience. So do you run the same guys out there? It reminds me a little bit about the linebackers in 2018. And they ran the same – linebackers struggled in 2018. A lot of it was scheme problems, and they ran the same linebackers out there again in 2019, and they ran the same linebackers out there in 2020. They did not change. But with after 28 – Different scheme a different and a different scheme. and a different co- coach coaching them as well. This is the exact same the, scheme and coaches. But the much. whole point was, but but they could have that to me would have opened up more opportunity for change, right? Right of like, hey, these coaches, Al Washington, didn't know those linebackers anything, and they mm-hmm. picked the same three linebackers. Sure. So it was like, why, well, we thought. I mean, I'll go back and you know that whole thing coming off eighteen into nineteen. It's like, are they really going to play these same guys? Yeah. The linebackers weren't good enough, and the answer was yes. Mm-hmm. They are going to play the same guys. So if we think, okay, well. I mean, you know, if they're playing four defensive backs and it's seven banks, Cam Brown, Marcus Williamson, and Josh Proctor, I mean, that's who played last year, except Cam Brown got hurt. Now, Cam Brown's hurt injury is part of the reason they had some trouble. And if you're taking Marcus Hooker out of there and he was maybe the lesser of the guys in the back end back there, but that is a lot of familiarity. It's none of this cool new young guy. Hey, who's on, who are you on the lookout for? Nobody's saying they're on the lookout for Marcus Williamson. Nobody's on the lookout for seven banks. Like, oh, he's seven banks. He's good. He's going to play. It might be those four. It really might be. And then, like, so what does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? But, man, if we use the linebackers from 18 as an example, that might be what you bet on. It's hard because there's not – a five-star corner who's in his second year. Because even with the Ryan Watts thing, that kid was 202, you know, number 18 defensive back in the country. He's in the same realm as Seven Banks as a recruit. And whatever you think about it, it's the same kind of concept. And it took Seven Banks three years to get onto the field. One, because, I mean, he was playing behind two first-rounders, but also it just took him three years to get on the field because he was good. if he was good enough, they would have found a way to get him on the field, just like with Denzel Ward. They found a way to get that first-round draft pick on the field with two other first-round draft picks. So it's, 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 you might just be right because it's not – if Ja'Kalen Johnson and Jordan Hancock, who's not here yet, he's still at home, but if they were here and they were in their second year, maybe you'd have a better – argument to say no this top 100 talented guy might push through and be the thing that he might be the reason why he jumps over the the guys who played last year but because you don't have that those guys are just true freshmen coming in they might just play the same guys over again and then next year you see those two guys make a jump unless they rotate which yeah unless they rotate back to the if they go back to the old Kerry Combs way of maybe you rotate in five corners through three spots yeah or something so now you play the same guys you play Seven Banks, Cam Brown, Marcus Williamson, and Ryan Watson, Legend Cavazos, because they're all working in or whatever. That, that's so also maybe that's the, maybe that's the question. It's not so much can these young guys jump? Are they good enough to just like split rat, reps? But Doug, that's that was like the, way of putting it. the perfect segue to the point I was about to make, which is I think that's what everyone assumes. They've got that in the back of their mind. Like, well, maybe once you once the talent kind of evens out and you get back to that maybe the way Kerry Combs really wants to do it, and you're rotating five, six guys. But as you've pointed out in the past, too, when they used to rotate those guys, at first everyone was like, wait a second, you've got these two first-rounders. Why are you rotating this third guy in there? Oh, because he's Denzel Ward. We just don't know it yet. Like, oh, because he's a first-rounder, too. So, again, that's where I think that the, the, the real story here is still the development of that defensive back room because I think they want to rotate those guys, but I think they want to rotate great guys. I don't think they just want to rotate – for the sake of it, I don't think they want to just rotate mediocrity through there. I think they want multiple guys to emerge and show themselves to be frontline Big Ten defensive backs, 
and then and then kind of be forced to rotate those guys, not do it as just an exercise. And the other thing is when you play press man exclusively, it lends itself right. to doing more rotation because guys are running with receivers down the field every single snap. And if they're not playing press man exclusively, with their, which they're not, then that opens up like, well, from like a staying fresh standpoint, you don't need to do it. So then it's only from a do you have guys who are forcing their way on the field standpoint? And that's the question. Do Ryan Watts, Legend Cavazos, and Cam Martinez force their way onto the field and make Kerry Combs do it, or maybe not? I, I, Josh Proctor is also a guy that I, I'm curious about what exactly he looks like this year. I don't know what the spring will necessarily tell us there, but I, that's that safety spot, especially if it's only going to be one guy, I think is just is so huge for this year. They just have to have a better answer for that than they did in 2020. And I think that a lot of that by answer, again, I think it's about guys just playing better back there. I don't think it's, I don't know how much of that is coaching. They've got to obviously help develop those guys and teach them things and bring them along physically, but somebody's got to emerge as more of an answer back there. Whereas last year, it seemed like a little bit more of a dart throw. Well, then what does that mean? I mean, so what do you just think is the best way to get a player to play better is to play the same player and just hope that he's better. Or do you play a different player? Right. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's the emergence of, of talent back there an emergence of someone like does Josh Proctor step up this year as a senior and, and say, no, like I got this, this time, like this time it's real. I'm, I'm the guy back here. And, and then he plays like it. Or do we still go into 2021 kind of wondering from week to week basis, is that safety position going to be as fragile as it was in 2020? But even if he does that, somebody else still needs – Is what's Lathan Ransom's best role? Is it the single high spot or is it the other safety spot who plays on third downs? That's the problem. It's not so much Josh Proctor needing to step up and spring. It's you, the problem was he was the answer to two questions. Somebody else needs to just be the answer to the other question so you can play Josh Proctor at his best spot, whichever spot that is. I think that's a fair way to look at it, that they need – it isn't just on one person. They need a multitude of talents to emerge in the secondary in order to really – figure this out Here's I mean I mean unless they don't unless they play the same four guys they played last year like I mean which is again I don't mean to reemphasize that we're talking about they need a multitude of talents and we keep talking about young guys they might play the same four veterans who played last year and yep. that might be it and it Josh was- Proctor is the deep safety the whole time and Marcus Williamson is the slot corner the whole time and Cam Brown and seven banks are on the outside and that's it and somebody's the nickel and that's all that might be it. I want to go watch Marcus Williamson snaps in the Alabama game again because, and just put it in con, put it in context, obviously, but just for the fact that I, if he was good enough in that game, then yeah, maybe he just needs to be a little better than he was then. But but like Doug, what you're saying, like I, I don't, the names don't matter to me. Kind of, it's like take the names off of it. You just have to have four guys that you trust more than the four guys you played last year. Well, I'll be honest. I did not listen to every single podcast last week, and I apologize for that. But you guys had like the old guy, young guy debate, right? right. I mean, like. On one hand, it doesn't matter, but on the other hand, it does matter because if they play the same veterans who are good but not great and their young guys either don't develop or don't get the opportunity or they're reluctant to do it, you may have a defense that hits the ceiling if you have four guys there, none of whom are first-rounders in a secondary where they are accustomed to having first-rounders, and none of them play that way, but they are the four guys that you put on the field because they're the same, they're the veterans. So, like, that's a thing. That would be a thing. Now, they also might develop into first-rounders, but if they don't and they are good enough, that's, that's a thing, I think. So, yeah. 
it comes down to whose floor is higher than it is whose ceilings are in a situation where the ceiling probably isn't that high to begin with. Well, it's it it's it's kind of goes back to what you're talking about with the quarterbacks in a way, Doug. Like making the safe choice over the the playmaker. Except in you history, have that, yeah. yes, yeah, and you actually can do that with this, yeah. Uh, this, there's like four hundred different headlines that have come out of this podcast so far. Like, what does the 2011 Ohio State quarterback competition tell us about <laughs> the 2021 defensive back competition? I mean, it's the same. I mean, which I assume is the you know the discussion you guys had about old guys, young guys. It's mm. there's a history. They're, they're sometimes reluctant. I mean, I, I, I I'm going to keep talking. I don't mean to do it. It's like, but I keep I talk to Ryan Shazier a lot recently, and I was talking to him and his dad both both about in Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle recruited Ryan Shazier. I, I don't know what you guys talked about. I, it's like this is one of these things. It's like hey, Doug's not on a couple podcasts. Then Doug comes back and is like, oh, I'm just going to redo the podcast you guys did while I wasn't here. And just talk about the same things again. We didn't talk about Shays here, so you, you, okay. you're yeah. so no, far, you're all good. You're yeah, you're wide open there. So Luke Fickle recruits Ryan Shays here. He's the guy who knows him, and then everything breaks loose, and Luke Fickle ends up being the head coach in 2011, while Ryan Shays is a true freshman. And Ryan Shazier, they had done all this stuff in his recruiting. They knew the depth chart at every uh, linebacker spot at every school he considered. And they knew they had, like, guys that were maybe going to play ahead of Ryan for, like, a year, but then things would open up. But all we did in 2011, the season's falling apart, and there's this kid. There's this true freshman who, when you put him on the field, he attacks the football. Now, is he perfect every snap? No. Is he out of position sometimes? Yes. Is he unlike anybody else on the roster? Absolutely. And Luke Fickle had recruited him, and it took all year to play him. Andrew Sweat got a concussion at the end of the year. When Ryan Shazier started for the first time against Penn State, he made 15 tackles. He made more tackles than anybody had made at Ohio State in two years, and they wouldn't play him. The head coach who loved him and recruited him wouldn't play him. When, when he was out there, like in garbage time situations or whatever, everybody with eyeballs was like, who is that? More of that, please, in a lost season. And they wouldn't play him. And when an injury forced him on the field, he made 30 tackles in, in th three games. So that's what happens. They don't do it. Von Bell, we've talked about it a million times. I, maybe you they, they are so, it is fascinating to me. We talk about it all the time, but we talk about it all the time because it happens all the time. And if they have four veterans who are, I don't even want to, I don't want to use a pejorative term. I don't want to say obvious or easy answer because I don't want to take away from those four guys being good players. But if they don't even crack the door to find out if somebody younger behind them might be better for whatever reason, man, that's tough. That can be tough, right? I don't know if that's the route to winning a national title or not, because you find out like in week 11 that this young guy that you never played, somebody gets hurt, somebody, whatever, something happens. And then that guy plays. And then it's like, holy moly. And it's like, why weren't you doing it the whole time? And I think that's out there to happen. Yeah, the it happened one, last the thing, year. Yeah, the one thing that we brought up that, again, we were basing – a lot of the discussion was based on here's how they approached it in 2020. They can't maybe do the same thing in 2021. You would have been better for that. And we had some of that, like, past examples too, but you would have been obviously a, an improvement to help discuss some of those that, with that, that depth about that. But 2020 also was 
very much a season that exists unto itself. Because if we had, if you look back in history and said like, well, they got six games into the season, they realized that the the young guys were better than who they were starting at these two spots and transitioned to them. Well, the sixth game of the last season was the Big Ten Championship game. The eighth game was the National Championship game. So that's what threw off 2020 a little bit. But I agree that like, that I think 2021 is going to have some more intrigue along those lines because I think the door is more open, more just a more conventional preseason, more conventional spring, all that stuff, more conventional season, we hope, lends itself to maybe some more of those decisions happening. We're going to take another break because we've got more to talk about with the defense, including what I think is the single most intriguing position on the entire team going into the spring. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back with our 10 questions about the spring, and I actually have kind of lost track of the questions. This one I wrote down as question eight, though I think we've jumped around a little bit. Actually, take that back. Question seven. Could an outside linebacker spot be filled by a big safety like Court Williams, their first bullet they recruited? So we had to get a, a, a quick bullet mention in before we, we start the spring. I think outside linebacker, I think Sam linebacker is the most intriguing position on this team other than quarterback going into the spring because I feel like we look at that this team, we look at this roster, and I think you could pick any one of like five guys to be the starter there on opening day, and all of them seem like they're about an equal chance of being right. Maybe four. But I think there's a lot of candidates for that spot, and I'm intrigued by what Ohio State decides to do there. And if it really is one guy or if they, we see more versatility out of that linebacker room than we have. There was a texter who called us out for not doing more Court Williams in our draft, in our, our money draft, yeah. um, talking about linebacker. I did don't think he did. Us pick him. I know some some I, of the texture I, teams had him on. There. I think I did. I no, I no because I picked Josh Proctor as my. I've got it right here. Yeah, but I mean, so the idea of like, I mean, if here. and this might be this might be a incorrect assumption, but if you assume maybe Dallas Gant and Taraji Mitchell are maybe the the two surest things at linebacker, then like, well, what's the other guy? And we talked about like, well, it might be Kayvon Pope, but it might be Craig Young, right? Well, it might be Court Williams, and I don't know again. There's the personnel discussion and there's the scheme discussion. If you're looking for more of a bullet safety linebacker hybrid, maybe that is Court Williams. But do you is it the is it the positional schematic need that rules the day, or is it the player that rules the day? Right. And I think it's possible too that it might just be like, oh, we got to get Court Williams on the field. Who cares what we call him? Much like. Pete Warner killed the bullet because he was the bullet while also being a linebacker. Court Williams might be that too. That it's like, he's sort of what they look for, but he's also a three down guy and whatever. So like if, if you want to say, but I think you're right. So if you said could be Kayvon Pope, could be Craig Young, could be Court Williams. I'm trying, I don't know who else. I mean, I guess if you just want to throw like every other linebacker in there. Those are probably the three main candidates I would say. But if you think maybe Gant and Mitchell are just a little more solid and then that spot is wide open, I, I agree with your premise and the texture and that that is the spot. The other thing, um, Court Williams coming off of a torn ACL, he tore his ACL in the preseason of a season that was starting late. So it's not like he did it in July or the beginning of August or whatever. It was a little bit later, I think, in the calendar than that. So I don't know what his situation will be for this spring, how much he'll be practicing this spring. We obviously saw with Marcus Crowley last year, he tore his ACL kind of middle second, early second half of the 
2019 season was not back last spring and really was not back for the start of the fall. We didn't see him in even a, a marginal way until that season was, was much farther along. So that's the wrinkle with court Williams. I, I, he's a guy that I think they're really intrigued by. They like his intangibles as much as they like him as a linebacker. And I think they like the idea of someone with that kind of presence. If they prove it as a player, if you can get him on the field, I think that maximizes all those intangibles. If they're actually on the field and leading a team there, I, I, I think they like what that could be. But just from a health standpoint is how much can he be in the mix this spring? And regardless of that, I think you're going to see a lot of guys maybe in the mix there at, at Sam. I think that's a very wide open competition right now. And I think, I mean, we're talking about spring football questions. So I think Court Williams and his – situation maybe isn't a great spring football question because it might just be like, I oh, still recovering. He's right. Rehabbing. Right. But for the season, he might be like the number one question. Cause again, I'm just going to keep citing people from history, but James Orditis kind of was like, uh, didn't exactly know, you know, a little bit in there as a freshman, whatever. And then like we showed up for his second year and it was like, Oh yeah, James Orditis, he's a starter. And it was like, Oh, okay. And like, Court Williams reminds me of him a little bit. Just like the dude gets it. The dude is like a, like he's like a mature veteran who happens to be a young guy. And if we just show up and it's like, maybe not the spring, but like we show up in August and it's like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. And I was like, oh no, it's Court Williams. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then it's like, and that's the beginning of like, oh, and then Court Williams was like a three-time All-Big Ten player. Remember when we didn't know if Court Williams was going to play and then we just showed up in August, his second year, and it was like, oh, yeah, that guy, he's not coming off the field for the next three years. It's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. That's out there, I think. Do you think it's plausible at all that we talked so much, or the coaches really are the ones who say it. They say, you know, at Washington, we've got so much versatility in this room. These guys can play everywhere, blah, 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 all that stuff. And then it doesn't really actually turn out that way when he gets to the field. Pretty much people have their roles. If, if Mitchell and Gant are kind of locked in as those other two, does Sam, and then I guess an extension of that, how they play it in nickel situations, could it be a little bit more fluid? Like, do you think that's possible that the guys move around a little bit more, or do you assume that it's going to be more locked in like we've seen the last couple of years? I think having a situation where you have one Sam linebacker on first and second down, and then a, another guy on third down is not off the table. I think that could happen. I mean, we saw with the secondary where you had at the beginning of the season where Marcus Williamson was first and second down, and then Cam Brown was third down. We could see a similar situation given what that Sam linebacker is turning into now, where you are recruiting a safety with the idea of making him a linebacker. Which just goes, I mean, the people, the old timers listen to this. It's like they came up with the star position like around 2005 or so. Dante Whitner played it, and then a bunch of Jamel Hines played it, whatever. It's like when they said, oh, it's the star. I was like, oh, they call it the star. Back then I wasn't so cynical. Now I'm like, no more B word. I don't want to hear bullet. But star, I was like young. I was new to the beat. I was like, ooh, I love the star. And then like Dante Whitner was like, he wasn't huge, but he would like come down and destroy you. So it's like a, like a lot of this is, and then, but then, you know, I mean, what is Darren Lee? It's like, well, they called it, you know, Chris Ash was called it like walkout linebacker. It's like, what is it? It's like, I don't know. It's like, it's like a safety body and a linebacker attitude, basically, right? That it's like, it's yeah. an undersized linebacker with speed. So part of it too is if you told me Court Williams is on the field 
at Sam linebacker on first and second down. And then on third down, he stays on the field as a coverage linebacker. And it's like Dallas Gant and Court Williams. And then Josh Proctor slides down. And you like yep. that's out there too. That it's like, but you know, again, I mean, who, what do we love to talk about more than safety bodies, linebacker <laughs> attitudes? I mean, like that's, that would be, yep. that's my shirt. That's, Forget that. I used to have – when I get ripped this summer, I'm going to sell that safety body linebacker attitude Buckeye talk. That is what it's all about, baby. Texters, Texters 614-350-3315. What should Doug's T-shirt actually say at the end of this spring to reflect his, his physical presence? It, we want, we want to hear those texts. If we get – at some, if we ever get to a normal spot in the next two months while they're doing spring practice and we get to go on the day we get the linebackers, you have to wear that shirt in front of Al Washington. And yeah. you have to wear it again when we get Kerry Combs because those, it, those are the two people who need to see that shirt. Yeah, Steve, Steve and I will buy the shirt, but you have to wear 100%. it. 100%. Yeah. I will 100% buy that shirt if we get to go to practice this year. Yeah. And that's one of those things like if I'm, if I'm at my most fit, if I'm at my most fit, which is like, what does that mean? It's never happened. But I, I, I'm probably six one and a quarter. So they'd call me six two in the program, and I'm probably like I could get down to like one ninety. So like if you list me at like six two one ninety, right? Safety body linebacker attitude. But it is remarkable to me how like a hundred and ninety pound, a six foot two hundred and ninety pound body. The measurables can be the same, but what the body is composed of is so vastly different. Oh, yeah. You know, that I, you line me up, there's probably, you know, I mean, like, it was like, oh, Ryan Shazier was like this undersized guy. He's like 6'2", 185. He's like this scrawny little guy, you know, coming into Ohio State. And it's like, let's line up this, me, this, same measurables against that. It's like a different, it's different composition of DNA. I mean, like what is going on there? But I, or but by the numbers, safety body linebacker attitude, I'm all about it. Or, or sometimes those numbers are a little bit fudged. Like I remember last year, uh, the, they, they released Donald Trump's um, physical or whatever. And he had ex- basically the exact measurements as Pete Werner. <laughs> I put that oh, on right. Twitter. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Donald Trump is here. a bullet. If Donald Trump were, on the Ohio State football team, he would be – he would – won't send him a shirt. Safety body linebacker attitude, baby. It's a whole new way of thinking. We're, we're, straying, we're straying from the conversation a bit here. I want to bring it back to just a kind of the end note there being – I kind of think of it almost the same way as the DBs, though. It's like, does somebody along, emerge – and Doug touched on it with Court Williams. Like, who steps forward and just becomes the guy that you can't you can't take him off the field or you decide he has to be on the field. I don't care what position you call him, but like he becomes one of those 11 guys that you feel like has to be on the field playing defense for you. That's what I'm intrigued to see out of that. And it probably ends up being that Sam guy between now and the start of the fall. Question eight, any new defensive lineman ready to take a leap next season? Uh, there better be because they, they need some help there. They, they obviously lose Tommy Togiai. They've got to have someone step up and kind of solidify that nose tackle spot. I don't know that's necessarily so it doesn't necessarily have to be new defensive linemen, but I think people like, for instance, Tron Vincent, who's not new, just needs to impact in a new way. And he's been limited a little bit because of injuries and things that have gone on, but it's guys like that that just need to have their 
step forward or even someone like Antoine Jackson, like who gets now this other, this extra year, does he, do we see a new level of Antoine Jackson? I don't think it necessarily has to be an epiphany. Um, although it kind of was in some ways with Togiai and Garrett last year, the, the, the level that those guys played at. And I don't know that it necessarily has to be someone stepping up to all American status. It just has to be someone again, solidifying that spot. But I'm actually, I, this time last year, I had big questions about the interior defensive line. I'm not as uh, skeptical of what they're going to do there this year. Somebody Partially just needs to show they're coming back. Somebody just needs to show they can get home more often. I think they got. We talked about it all year. They can get pressure, but they don't get home that often. And that's where somebody needs to step up. Whether that's an interior guy or an edge rusher, somebody just needs to show that they can get home more than four times in a season because that just it takes some pressure off of a secondary. If you if you got a guy getting home six, seven, eight, nine times in a season. That helps. Or you have a bunch of guys getting home four or five times in a season or four or five, six, seven times in a season. It takes pressure off your secondary. So that's the only way, way anybody on this defensive line needs to step up. Other than that, they were pretty solid. Among, a, a, you know, the same host of defensive ends, I think Tyreek Smith could develop into a, like a don't take him off the field kind of guy. I think, I think that's certainly out there. And I do think Antoine Jackson could be on like the Davon Hamilton, like good to great, like as a, a – you know, Antoine Jackson was a big time recruit. If you tell, if you told me like he guys like a, a the kind of senior season where he's like a third or fourth round pick a year from now, and he's like a really good player, we didn't know Haskell Garrett was going to be this. You know, a year ago, the way Haskell Garrett played, like Davon Hamilton and Haskell Garrett are two examples of guys who made sort of big defensive tackle leaps later in their careers, and I think Antoine Jackson profiles as a guy who certainly has the potential to do that. Yeah, I was thinking, again, in terms of defensive tackles, but they didn't phrase the question that way. They said defensive lineman overall. And, again, I think, I think Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison are two examples of this, too. It's not, those aren't new guys. Those are established guys who've been on, you know, starting on this defense for a couple of years in some cases. I, I just feel like you need to see a new level of play from them to, to really take this defense up a notch. If those guys are kind of what they were in 2020 – they're, they're, we, we didn't mention this at all in the whole discussion about the secondary, but we have in the past talked about how connected those two things are. The better that defensive front plays, the more pressure that defensive front creates, the better the secondary plays and vice versa. Agree. Yeah. Moving along, we had some questions about position changes and things that we have been getting those over the last couple of months. And here was an interesting one. I threw it in as question nine. I, we can talk about this specific idea, but I also want to talk about just where we might see some other guys moving around. With G. Scott's size, what do you think about Scott beefing up the 230 to 235 pounds and playing tight end so he can get more playing time? Now, either I've seen this question before. I don't know if it was from the same texter or if another person has mentioned it, but like that idea out there of this being a big receiver, could you just convert him to a tight end? They're very different positions. I think that's a difficult thing to do, and I don't know that it would necessarily mean more playing time for him in the short term, just because, again, you're learning a new position and you're putting yourself on the same plane and possibly below some of the other young tight ends in the room at that point. But just that idea in general of, of maybe it's not even a position change, but like does, does G. Scott's size in that receiver room give him a unique identity that they could use in a new way? It's not necessarily about turning him into a tight end. It's just about maximizing the G. Scottness of him. So... No, he's not that big. He's a bigger receiver, but he's not tight in big, even in height and stature. He's 
six three. Let's Doug alluded to earlier with program height. He's six three in the program height, but his height is probably a little closer to six two than it is six three. If you actually measured him, he's just a bigger receiver, just like. Benjamin Victor was a bigger receiver. Marvin Harrison and Jaden Ballard are going to be bigger receivers. That doesn't mean they need to be tight ends. It just means their catch rate. It's really, as Brian Hartline explained one day, I think when we were asking him about questions about Mookie Cooper and his height, it's about catch radius. He just has a naturally bigger catch radius because he's a taller receiver. But no, moving into tight end doesn't get a bit more playing time because just like with Cade Stover, he's going to spend the year having to learn how to play the position. I think he's fine. Yeah, I mean – I wouldn't recommend anybody to Ohio State moving too tight end to, like, get more opportunities. <laughs> Correct. That's the other factor yeah, here. It's like, you know, okay, maybe he'll get more playing time, but what does that actually mean? And I, I'm skeptical that that would happen. But I, I understand where the texture's coming from. They see a talented person. They look at a, a room that's full of people. They're like, could you move him somewhere else? So are there? we think that there could be potentially some other – there always are in the spring, right? Somebody's moving, whether that's somebody moving from um, – I mean, we saw it a couple of years ago with like Cormonte Hamilton's moving from, and I don't know if that happened in the spring, moving from tight end to the defensive line. Like things like that will happen occasionally. Um, I, I could see some of these guys who have been sort of slotted in as defensive ends early on. That group of like Ty Hamilton, Jacoby Cowan, Darian Henry Young, could one of those guys move in to three tech or something and start playing more defensive line? That's a common thing. That's kind of the Ohio State way, right? Like that's, I almost think that's, I don't know if it's guaranteed to happen, but it'd be the least shocking position change of the spring. I would definitely be trying to find out where Enoch Lamahi is as well, because he was working with the defensive line during the national championship game, but he was still dressed like an offensive lineman. So I think that would be on the list of players to look for just to see where they're at on the field. Yeah, that may have been just about the the COVID situation and the depth that they had that night. And he maybe wasn't going to, be in the mix on the offensive line as much at night anyway, so he, it would help them, but it's worth keeping in the back of our minds, yeah. Too many good players. I mean, I appreciate the questions, but it's all like, what should they do? Should the 49th best player on the team move to this? And it's like, I, I don't know what to tell you, man, because he's at a spot where there's a lot of good players, and if he goes somewhere else, there's a lot of good players. There's too many good players and not enough opportunities. But I understand what people are saying, but like impact stuff, I mean, end to tackle on the defensive line is a Larry Johnson plan. Yeah. You recruit a defensive end who has the frame to put on more weight, and all of a sudden you have a long guy with pass rush ability at three-tech, and every, you have Adolphus Washington or Draymond Jones or all the variety of guys that we've seen come through that, and that's a plan. And I think, Steven, I mean, like that's – whether it's – Darren Henry Young or Jacoby mm-hmm. Cowan are like, that's the kind of stuff that comes up in recruiting where these guys, they might come in and they're listed one way, but like, you're, we're going to come in, we're going to add some weight, add some muscle. And like, that's, it's not even a position switch as much it's, as it's a position like it. slide. Yeah. It's a redefinition of, of it's what you e- are. Yeah. It's easier to just teach all those techniques when they're on the end and they're having, only having to deal with getting past one offensive lineman instead of maybe two. At all. So, yeah, they, they'll tell you that in recruiting. Like, yeah, they're going to bring me in. And most of these kids play end at their high school because they're the best defensive player on the team. So they're probably not used to playing inside. So it's, they'll tell you, yeah, they're going to come bring me in. I'm going to learn all this stuff. And there's a chance that if I put on more weight, I'm moving back inside. They know it. The, Jacoby Cowan, Darion, Henry Young, Walter Nolan, if he comes here, they all know it that – their best position at the college level isn't necessarily what it was at the high school level. 
it's rare that you see a scenario like a Cade Stover, a guy who comes in and is already sort of that athlete who doesn't necessarily have a, a obvious spot to go in and can move from offense to defense or vice versa. And, and, and then also had an obvious opening at tight end where they were going to be very thin there very soon. And it just made sense to see what you could get out of him at that spot where he was already playing a position that maybe used some of those same skills. So that is, that's a little bit rare. And the other thing, as you mentioned, Doug, it's like people sometimes only look at the origin which is the position group that they're at and they seem to be kind of blocked and they think, well, if you just tweak a couple things and move them over here, that's a new position. But then guess what? That other position is probably pretty stacked. I mean, it's Ohio state. You're not there. There usually aren't any positions that are just devastated from a talent standpoint where they're just desperate for anyone with like, it's Ohio state. Like they get these guys every year. Um, let's see. What else? What else? What else? What else have we talked about? We didn't get any questions. And I, I compiled these last night, so I apologize if you sent anything early this morning. It, it maybe didn't get in. But we had a decent amount of questions as of Sunday night. And nobody asked about the running backs, maybe because we've talked about that enough as it is, or maybe because they think they know what the answer is going to be and there, there's not that a lot of intrigue. But what are you looking for? What, do you, what, what tells us something this spring about the running backs? Because I feel like it's not necessarily that, again, almost with the quarterbacks, I don't know if we get out of the spring thinking – here's who number one is, here's who number two is. I think think, that's still something that resolves in the fall. I think we learn even less about the running backs than we do the quarterbacks because they're just going to rotate those guys. Everyone's going to get an equal amount of reps for the most part. Maybe Master Teague misses a practice because he's built up equity or whatnot. But for the most part, we're just – guys are just going to roll and whoever ends up being – then they'll make a decision when they absolutely have to make a decision. Tony Alford doesn't have to do anything until game day. So – I mean, I think we all, yeah, we're not, we're all going to assume that the young guys that Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor are going to make a move, but they might not make it in the spring because it takes some time. But like, if, if we do get to see anything, whether it's in practice or the spring game and like Trevion Henderson is like, get some reps with the ones and like, looks like he shot out of a cannon. Then I think we might get like confirmation earlier than we expected of what we already think is going to happen. But I think if that doesn't happen in the spring with the two young running backs, I think we'll all brush it off as like, well, let's wait and see what happens in August because we still are going to assume that these elite young guys are going to have a big role in this offense. And again, it's, it's a crowded room right now. You're probably trying to get a lot of guys reps this spring and it's guys who their development has gotten interrupted. Like someone like Marcus Crowley who had the injury and, and had a really weird year last year with everything. So they need some time to work back up. I don't think just because you think these other guys are high ceiling guys, you can't just completely brush these other guys off. They, they, you, you need depth in that room, and you've still got to develop some guys. So anything else we haven't touched on that you feel like should be among the top ten questions before we go? No, because I, uh, I think there's a lot of certainty mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, I will, I will say this. I will say this, I guess. And well, I don't know. I actually don't know. Where does Paris Johnson line up? I was going to say that, yeah. Because – that was, a, all, that was kind of among the position change things that got thrown around a little bit in these questions. He's one of the best five. So, like, he has to start. The two tackles are back. I guess that means we think he'll be a starting guard. But as I said on a, whatever a couple months ago, it's like, well, will you, do you move one of the veteran tackles and play Paris at tackle because Paris is, like, going to be the number one tackle in the NFL draft in a couple of years? Like, is that on the table at all? 
But I will say if, if it looks like in spring that like Paris Johnson is not with the ones, my head will explode. So right. I'm mostly curious about, I guess they'll probably put him at guard because he's the young guy, but like, what if not? What if that's not it? And well, I, was, I would love to talk good. to Greg Studrawa just about how do you grade this? What, what is the process of evaluation and how much are you moving? Are you, do you assume right away that you're just getting Paris Johnson ready to play guard or because every time you play him a tackle with the ones, one of those tackles has to move somewhere else. Right. So then how, how is that musical chairs playing out and how are you evaluating that? I, that's really intriguing to me. I mean, like, is it, but is it a battle? Like, is it like, are you trying to play Paris? So you need Paris to get tackle reps in case one of the outside, one of the tackles gets hurt because he's your third best tackle at the worst. So if there's, if they can't play, he's in. So he has to get tackle reps. But is there a competition? Are you actually trying to see who the best tackle is? And like, of those three, like the quote loser, the third best tackle is then a starting guard? Or are you not even doing that because it's like, my God, Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere were like as good at tackle last year as anybody in the Big Ten. They are the guys. We're not trying to let Paris compete at tackle. That's just not what we're doing. We're getting him ready to start at guard and be ready to be the third tackle in case we need him. I would assume that, but man, I'm here for the other thing. I'm here. Yeah, it, I don't it, know. That that is that, it's just a, yeah. Who's the guard and who's the tackle between Thera between Thera Munford and, and Paris Johnson? We, we can go Nicholas or Nicholas P. Fair. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say that we can go. Which one of those three is the guard and which two are the tackles is the most interesting thing there. And then just for the sake of it, I mean, if we were in there and they go and we get to see the ones, is Jamison Williams still the third starting wide receiver? in quotes or have they switched some people around is is it Garrett back outside and Jackson Smith and the Jigba in the slot just for the just for the sake of a starting unit obviously Garrett's gonna go everywhere but just for the sake of us or do they just put Julian Fleming out there and take him off that rotation with Chris as Chris Olave's backup or is he G Scott has he shown some things during the last two months so who's the third wide receiver yep I agree well, that's kind of our spring primer. We still got a few weeks before things get started. I double checked with Ohio State, got an answer back during this that they haven't, you know, released a date yet for the start of spring, and they may still be figuring some things out. But there are other teams in the Big Ten who have started spring practice, and they're talking to their assistant coaches and learning things about those teams. So I'm getting a little bit jealous of them because I'm ready to learn some things about this team. So hopefully, we'll have more of that to bring you guys pretty soon. Come back I, tomorrow. Good. I, I I always do this to Nathan. Nathan's like, I'm trying to wrap up. Can I just <laughs> can I just wrap up the show, Doug? Um, Michigan got has some recruiting stuff going on, and I, I feel like people are now starting to talk about the thing that we talked about a month ago about this new Michigan staff and what it means, and whether it is particularly transformational for how Michigan is going to recruit now. Um, and so I may jump on with you fellas, if you'll have me on the recruiting, recruiting podcast yeah, this week, because I don't, I don't, we don't need to do that right now. Cause we've gone an hour 20, but it's like, it's starting to happen. And they got a five-star guy over the weekend and Steven put up a story about it. But I think in the realm of what's going on in the recruiting world at the moment, I think that is, I think we were at the front of that discussion and I would like us to come back to that discussion. Cause I think it's happening. I can't I'll say promise- my, um, go ahead, David. I was say, I can't promise you'll be called a BFF, but you'll you're welcome to come on the pod. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're not. You haven't reached that status yet. I, I'll save my like big thoughts for when we get to that pod. But I am interested. That one's an interesting place to start with, just because 
yes, he's a five-star, but he's also a legacy kid. And so there is something, too, when you've got your dad probably in your ear talking about how you can just be like B. And 20 years later, we're back at Michigan starting again. So I'll, I'll save my further thoughts for that Friday pod, though. Yeah, that'll be BFFs. We also probably want to discuss a little bit the Keon Gray's commitment that day, and but also maybe in the context of what's still coming for the 2020 class. Sorry, 2021, 2022 2022. class. It's okay. They're all (laughs) crazy good. They all run together. Well, they get so far ahead uh, with the way things are going at Ohio State. Maybe that's what we'll need to discuss. So that'll be Friday, but come back tomorrow for the big Wednesday podcast. I'm sure we'll have something tasty conjured for that as well. For Doug Lane Reese and for Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>